good morning. How are you? Uh, I guess afternoon. I have to, I have to make the transition. Uh, good afternoon. How are you? Good, 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 good. I trust that you had a uh, wonderful and blessed weekend. Did everybody have so far a wonderful, blessed weekend? Good. No better pl- way to cap it off than to be in the house of God, right? Around other believers. Let me just say thank you, uh, Pastor Chad, for um, man extending the invitation and and thank you for giving us the opportunity this morning, just to or this afternoon, to share God's word with you. I was thinking about. I do love Fire Bible um, so much. Uh, it's a, a cause that I'm deeply uh, have a deep belief in. I believe that um, it's making big differences all over the world. You know, when you can take a take the Bible and you can translate it into different languages and allow the good news to infiltrate a dark area, allow the light to go somewhere it's never been before. How many of you know that's a good thing? And lives are changed, families are changed, generations are changed uh, for the good. And so big day today and I'm excited about all that uh, that's going to be happening and curious to see uh, how God responds. I think it's going to be a, a great day, Pastor Chad. And, and so thanks again for having us. I was thinking about um, kind of as we were thinking through this whole fire Bible and, and just all that God is doing through it. it couldn't, I couldn't help but go back to um, me when I was young. I, I was not raised in church. I didn't grow up in a home that had any Bible in there, much less a fire Bible in, uh, within, within the walls. And I was raised with a, uh, a mom whose family was heavily Catholic and d- devout Catholics and a dad whose family was devout Baptists. And so I kind of grew up confused and uh, kind of Catholic, if you will, and, and just confused. And I got I got, I got christened and I got baptized and I didn't know if I was going or coming, quite honestly. I was just uh, all over the place uh, as, a, as a youngster. But as, we, as I grew up, church just wasn't a part of our life growing up. I, and maybe I had, we, I'm the oldest of six boys and uh, maybe by Sunday, mom was just out of it and done and had nothing else to give or go to, you know. Uh, I'm not really sure, but we didn't grow up in church, and so that whole idea of going to church, it was just so foreign to me. I didn't have anybody in my life that was going to invite me to church, really. I had a, I had a, a good friend of mine. She's been, we've been friends for over 35 years now. Her family lived a couple of houses down and a godly family, and they invited me to church uh, in third grade one time. And that was the first time I had ever heard of the Bible, much less I remember the story of David and Goliath up on the, um, the flannel board, you know. Yeah, you know, they, even have, they don't even have that stuff anymore. But that's where, I, that's where I first learned about David and Goliath. The one time in my life till I was a senior in high school that I went to church that I could, that I could uh, remember anything. And so, and then about 18 years old, I'm a senior in high school and I start to like this girl and there was just something different about her. Uh, the way that she carried herself, her countenance, she was a, a, a Christian and, uh, I wasn't. And, um, you know, it was just, uh, I, I did everything I could to get her to lower her standards, quite honestly, <laughs> and go out with me. And she refused. She, and she even gave me this one time. She said, I like you, but I will not go out with you till you go to church with me. And uh, that made me mad. 
And so I uh, spent the next six weeks, in fact, I played baseball after school every day, uh, practiced. Uh, she was a cross-country runner, and so to try to just angle in another way, after baseball practice, uh, we always ended first. Obviously, they're a long-distance runner. They're running forever. Uh, I went and joined, uh, started going to run with her, you know, and just talk and ask her out while we're running. And uh, did that for about six weeks, and finally she just said, look, I'm not changing my mind. I'm not going to go out with you until you go to church with me. And so finally, I broke down. I was the one that broke, and I went to church with her, and I was so mad. That first Wednesday night, I went to church. It was in youth, the back row. I was sitting in the dead center of the back row. She was sitting right next to me. And I remember I had my arms crossed and I had this scrowl on my face, you know, because, because I, I could have swore that she wrote everything about me down on a piece of paper and she handed it to the youth pastor right before he spoke and said, talk about this because Gary is dealing with this. He needs Jesus. And... And he did. I don't. She, I'm not. You know, I could have swore she did that because God got a hold of my life, and um, and boy did he ever. I grew up. I grew up. Um, which, by the way, she did go out with me after that. So, uh, victory on both fronts. So, um, but I grew up not knowing the Lord. I grew up in an unchristian home. I, and here's the thing, right? I knew. I had to, I didn't know. I just had this feeling that God existed. I just didn't know what it felt like. I didn't know what it looked like. I couldn't quantify it in any way, uh, qualify it in any way. I just, I knew that he existed. I just couldn't figure it all out. I was confused. Uh, I was just confused. And I laid my head down on my pillow. I remember this so vividly, and I, and I can't even tell you why, but I, I, every night I laid my head down on my pillow um, and I prayed this prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. How many of you remember this prayer? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. You prayed this prayer too, right? And I did that every night. I did that every night. I did that every night, and I could not figure out. Nobody, none of my friends, um, they, they, would, they would all have their idea of who God was. Well, well, you know, God is this. Well, God is that. Well, God doesn't exist. Well, if you go hug a tree, that's most being like God that you could ever be. Or if you go help somebody across the road, well, that's, that's being like God. Well, you know, they had all these different theories, and yet, and yet nobody's ever seen him. I heard later that Moses like almost saw him, right? Like Moses saw his jacket after he was passed, you know? And then when you look at scripture, it was actually his shadow. It wasn't even his jacket, you know? It wasn't even his, you know, it was just his shadow. I was like, come on, somebody help me out. And um, yeah, and so that was my life growing up. And, and what it always, what it, what it came back to, and what I want to share with you this morning, this afternoon, is it all comes back to Jesus for me. Because the only way to understand and to know the heart, the characteristic, the only way to understand who God the Father is, is you got to go through Jesus to understand it. John chapter 1 verse 14 says this. 
The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Turn to your neighbor and say grace and truth. The first little phrase there, the word became flesh, that, that phrase carries so much weight, especially when you read it in conjunction with verse 1 of that chapter, John 1. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word became flesh. God put on flesh. He wanted his creation to understand who he was and to know him so badly that we read in scripture that he became flesh and he dwelt, uh, dwelled among us. I love that word there. If you ever have time to study something, study that word dwelling in John 1. Because what you're going to find is in the original text, what it literally means is God put on flesh and he pitched a tent in our own backyard and he dwelled among us. He, he lived where we lived. It means that he pitched a tent and he lived among us. Now, I don't know about you, but I will tell you, and we have some friends that are here that know my family well, as well as Pastor Chad and Amber. Uh, I will tell you, and I will confess to you this. My wife hates tents. There's nothing about camping that excites her. There's nothing about camping that will, that will, uh, she hates it. She hates it. How many of you love camping? Raise your hand, you love camping. How many of you hate camping. You will not, just be honest, just raise your hand. I will not go camping. I have no desire, no nothing. Yes, yes, you understand it. My wife thinks that camping and tents is the greatest promotion for the hotel industry there is. That's, that's just how she feels about it. In fact, I, you know, I, I've, I've told her, uh, I've, I've shared with her and encouraged her and try to bring her along because me and our two kids, we love to camp. And I've tried to say, well, look, why don't we compromise? Why don't we, why don't we save up and rent an RV and take two weeks and, and we'll go to Yellowstone and then we'll cross over to Mount Rushmore and then we'll come back down through the Rockies and we will just, we'll just take our time and enjoy nature. But you have air conditioning, well. right? <laughs> Somebody's with me. You know what my wife says? She, this is her response. If I have to clean, it's not vacation. I said, that's why we got kids. Come on, help me out. She's like, no. So she hates camping. She hates camping. Um, what is God trying to say here? That he's going to pitch a tent and live in our own backyard. What he is saying is, hey, I desire to be known by you. I desire for you to know who I am. And so I'm going to put on flesh and blood. I'm going to dwell where you dwell because I want to live where you live. And I want to know you and I want you to know me. I want you to imagine for a moment, maybe you have a lot of money and you're driving through the neighborhood and you're my neighborhood and you're looking for somewhere to, to build a house. And so you see this empty lot right next door to my house and you think, you know what, that's it. That's where I want to live. And you've got all this money, so you decide in that empty lot, you're going to build this monstrosity of a mansion. 
It's going to be four stories high. And you're going to have panoramic windows around the top so that you can look down on all your neighbors and, 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 and see what we're doing. You're going, to, you're going to have these 12-foot high privacy fence, right? All the way around it. It's going to have barbed wire across the top. And, 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 and you're going to have, uh, it's going to be electrified, right? And you're going to have uh, uh, cameras on the corners, you know, security cameras. You're going to have snipers and trees, you know, if anybody comes close, right? You're going to have a, 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 molt, a, 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 a moat of lava around, around your house. You're going to have all these dogs in your yard that, that, that are guard dogs. And that's what you want to build. What message are you sending your neighbors with your house? What is it? Stay away. We're not interested. Listen, we're just going to live our life. You're going to live your life. We're not interested in relationship. You're not saying go grab a bucket of hot wings and Dr. Pepper and let's go watch the game on Sunday. Come on over. Everybody welcome. You're not saying that. You're saying I'm going to live here. You're going to live there. I'm going to live my life. You're going to live your life. And we're not going to intermingle. We're not going to, there's not going to be any relationship. We may see each other in passing, but that's about it. And that's all I desire. But say then instead of building a mansion, you come and you notice that empty vacant lot next to me. And you say, I'm going to, I'm going to pitch a tent right there and I'm going to live. Now, if you say, I'm going to pitch a tent right there and I'm going to live, what you're really saying is, I want to know you and I really want you to know me. Because we're going to build a relationship with each other. When it's hot outside, you're going to want my air conditioning and my lemonade. When it's cold outside, you're going to want my fireplace and my hot coffee. Right? When you need to use the restroom, you're going to be knocking on my door, I certainly hope. Right? Right? You're going to be knocking on my door. What you're saying is, I want to know you. I'm not putting up any walls. I want to live where you live. I want there to be relationship. I want us to know one another because I want to do life that way. That's what Jesus is saying here. That's what the Bible is saying here when he says, I'm going to pitch a tent and I'm going to live among you. You're saying, Gary, I'm gonna, we may, we're going to see each other when you're mowing the yard. And we're going to see each other when you're throwing the ball in the, in the front yard with your son. And when you're, when, you're, when you're doing things with your daughter. And when you're out, your wife's outside. You're, we're going to know one another because we're going to live in very close proximity. And there's not going to be any walls between us. That's what he's saying here. And the word became flesh and threw up a tent in our own backyard. If we want to understand who God is, God's desire for people, then we have to understand and get to know Jesus. And the best way we can get to know Jesus is through his word. The best way we can understand God is by getting to know his son. And the best way to get to know his son is by reading about his son, is by learning about him and figuring out, you know, if you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. Look at how Jesus interacted with people in the Bible. I've got a list of personal favorites that I'm going to take you through. Because and, and, I believe these teach us about the character of God the Father. What about the woman at the well? What do we learn about God the Father in Jesus' encounter, through Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well? You have a woman here of ill repute. She's made terrible decision after terrible decision after terrible decision. She is ostracized by a pagan culture. 
In other words, she is being kicked out of Vegas because of her lifestyle. That her lifestyle is so far extreme that Vegas is telling her, we don't want your kind around here. You're, you're, you're beyond us. The line was way back there. The line that we crossed a long time ago, well, you're way over there and we don't really want your kind around here. Jesus meets her at the well and he offers her to a, a drink of living water. She goes, why are you talking to me? Not only are you a Jew and I'm not, but you're a Jewish man and that shouldn't be happening. And not only are you a Jewish man, but you're also a rabbi. And Jesus responds by saying, the water that I offer you will cleanse your soul. Spoke to her. He met her right where she was. What do we understand about God the Father through this encounter that Jesus had with this woman? We understand that God loves everybody. And there's no writing people off. It doesn't matter what your past says or the coworker that needs Jesus, what they've done in the past. God writes nobody off. That's what we learn about the Father. What about Jesus' interaction with the disciples? Here's my thought. Can you ever really question God's patience when you read about his interaction with his own disciples? Right? You think about Peter. He was impromptuous, uh, impromptu. He was impetuous. He, he, he always acted before he thought. He was always got a, he's always got his foot in his mouth. I mean, in one moment, Jesus is asking him a question and he is answering it right. And Jesus says, Peter, you are awesome because, because and I'm paraphrasing, but he says, Peter, you are awesome because, because you didn't come up with that on your own. God the Father revealed that to you, that I am the Christ awesome job, Peter. Peter walking around, all the other boys hanging around, and he's patting himself on the back. And seven verses later, Christ, Jesus is calling them the devil. You're call, he's, he's being reprimanded, right? So Jesus, so Peter on the last night of, um, right before the crucifixion, the last, what we know is the, what we call the last supper's taking place. And, and Peter stands up in that moment, and he says, to Jesus, eye to eye, man to man, mano a mano, all these other jokers are going to fail you, but I never will. All these other guys will may deny you, but I never will. And then, of course, we know not just a few hours later, Jesus' uh, promise comes to pass. He's not asked the first time. He's asked the first time, do you know this guy? Nope, I don't know him. Hey, don't you know this guy? You're from Galilee. I can hear it in your accent. Nope, don't know him. Hey, I thought I saw you with this Jesus character earlier in the week. I, aren't you one of his disciples? No, I don't know him. And what happened in that moment? The rooster crowed. The rooster crowed. And I can't help but, I can't help but, but, but imagine that from that moment on, that had to be, that without a doubt was the biggest failure of Peter's life as a believer. And I can't help but wonder if every morning when that rooster crowed, if it took him back to that moment when he failed Jesus. Fast forward 
to a couple of days or so after the, resur- after the resurrection, Jesus has revealed himself a couple of times to some different disciples, but not to Peter yet. Peter's dejected, guilt-ridden, full of shame and, and doubt. He's questioning everything in his life. And he, and, and he decides, you know what? I was a fisherman before I met him. I'm going to just go fishing. That's how I'm going to relax. And the other guys are like, hey, we're going to go with you. So they all jump on a boat and they go out to go fish. And the Bible says in John 21 that they fished all night long and they caught nothing. And then all of a sudden, uh, and I'll read it to you. And then all of a sudden, one of them sees Jesus standing on the shore. It says that he appeared to his disciples early in the morning as he stood on the shore and he called out to them. And he said, throw your nets on the other side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, who we know to be John, he turned and he said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Peter heard him say that, it is the Lord, he unwrapped his outer garment around him and he threw it off and he dove in, jumped into the water and he swam to shore while the other disciples followed in by the boat towing the fish. They were only about a hundred yards from shore. And when they landed, they saw a fire burning of coals there with fish on it and some bread. I get this amazing picture in this moment. You've got to understand the mental state that Peter is in here. He's dejected. His whole world has been thrown into complete and utter turmoil. And now the one that he never thought that he would see again is waiting for him on the shore with breakfast. And I can't help but imagine this big burly man pulling himself up off the, off the beach and walking up to Jesus with shoulders slumped and head down and just dejected and shame and all of this stuff. Did, Peter, did, did Jesus rip into him? No. Did he point his finger at him and say, Peter, I told you so, I told you so. Didn't do that. In fact, what he did is he made it all right. He made it right. It says three times Jesus, first words spoken as, Jesus, as Peter standing in front of him, said, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. And he asked him again, right back to back, Peter, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said, then feed my lambs. And a third time, he asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? And he said, offended and heartbroken that Jesus would even question his love, said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. I love you. And he said, feed my sheep. How many times did Peter deny? Three. How many times did Jesus reinstate him? Three. You know what we call that? A psychologist back, well, Jesus already had the dibs on it long ago. But if you're in psychology, we call that conditioned reflexes. Pavlov did to a dog, right? He wanted to see if the dog would salivate 
when the, you know, he knows that the dog's going to salivate with food there. And so he wanted to see if a dog would salivate without the food there. And so he associated food with something else, a bell. And so for the first couple of weeks, he would ring a bell and he would serve the food and the dog would eat. He would ring the bell, he'd serve the food and the dog would eat. And then one day he said, it's time. And he rang the bell, but he didn't serve the food and the dog salivated. It's called conditioned reflexes. We all have them. We all have them, right? Every time I go up to a gas station and I put the dollar in or whatever it costs to end up to air up my tire, right? It's conditioned reflexes because now when I do it, I go around the car one time just to make sure everything's okay. Because one time I didn't do that. One time I was putting air in the tire and I got distracted by my kids. And I pulled off and jerked that hose right out of the machine. But I didn't know it until I'm going down the street and I'm hearing this. So now I check. Jesus here is using the same thing. It's conditioned reflexes. What was uh, uh, something that took him to shame and guilt, the rooster crowing, now is taking him to grace and love and mercy you know what I'm saying? Because this took place in the morning. And when do roosters crow? In the morning. In the morning. What do we learn about God the Father through the disciples? We learn that not only does he have patience for us when we fail. But it reemphasized what Paul wrote in Romans. That nothing can separate us from the love of God. And yet I look. And there are people all over the planet that have no clue how to get their hands on one of these to learn about who God the Father is. They have no clue on how to figure out who Jesus is. We have a Bible and and we can read this Bible and we can learn about Jesus. We can see how he interacted with people. We can see the love of the Father through him. But yet there are people all over this planet that don't have the opportunities that you and I have. As a young man, I didn't have that opportunity. This is a, it's called a, it's a fire Bible. Y'all been talking about it all month. This one is from North Korea, for North Korea. It is a project that my church worked on last year, uh, or that we helped fund last year. We didn't work on it. We helped fund it. Um, These are illegal in North Korea. A believer or anybody gets caught with this, it's a death penalty. Immediately. And so when they wrote it, they made it look like a fisherman's guide because that's the main industry in North Korea. And so if an official saw this, they turned to the first couple of pages. There's no table of contents. It's a fishing calendar for them to write in. People in North Korea need to know who Jesus is. They need to know who God the Father is. And the only way they're going to get to know the God the Father is to get to know Jesus. The only way they're going to get to know Jesus is by understanding how Jesus interacted with people. To see the characteristics and the love of the heart of the Son of God towards people. This morning, as you have been all month, the challenge is out there for fire Bibles. And I'm telling you, it's one of the most passionate causes that I have because every person needs a Bible. 
If you go back to Mark chapter 12, chapter 5, excuse me, Jesus has this interaction with uh, a demon-possessed man. He lived in caves, right? Remember this? Jesus steps off on shore. The guy approaches him, and the guy doesn't talk. It's the demons talking to him. They, to paraphrase the story, he says, listen, uh, we know who you are. We don't want anything to do with you. We know that you're casting us out, so where do you want us to go? And, and Jesus says, well, why don't you go into those herd of pigs over there? And they went. And when you follow the rest of that story, the guy had been delivered. And he goes up to Jesus and he says, I can't thank you enough and I want to go where you go. I want to, I want to, I want to go where you go. I want to, I want to, I just want to be with you. And Jesus' reply was, you can't. Because I need you to go back home. The man was from Decapolis, which is translated the ten towns, right? Jesus says, you can't. I need you to go and tell your family the good things that God's done in your life. Another interaction, right? Jesus with God's people. I need you to go back to your hometown of Decapolis, and I need you to tell your family, and I need you to tell everybody the great things that God has done in your life. We don't hear anything else in Scripture about him, but we know from history this man fulfilled what Jesus asked him to do because 300 years later, the the ecumenical council was meeting to talk about unity in the church. And do you want to guess the only region that had a representative there in all seven council meetings? Was Decapolis, where this man was from. There was no gospel representation in that town before Jesus gave this man a command. And, and, and to think that one man with the message of good news and the good things that God did in his life, that Jesus did in his life, Change the course of generations moving forward. When the good news goes into a dark area, lives change. Lives change. That's what this is. That's what you're raising money for. The 15 Bibles, that the challenges for each family. Listen, that's not even enough to cover what needs to be done, but you got to start somewhere. You got to start somewhere.